Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. a moment that makes you feel like you aged 20 years just in an instant hmm i feel like i've had some of those yeah Mm. for sure yeah so today i went to the grocery store got a bunch of stuff then forgot other things that i needed so i had to run back inside (laughs) which already just completely destroys your credibility as a human being (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, I, I had to, I, <laughs> I had to swallow my pride and go back into the grocery store. Oh no. The same cashier, you know, uh, I gotta make the awkward small talk. Mm-hmm. Well, I got my items. She rung me up and was like 2016 and just like, I didn't hesitate oh. just in a moment. I said, ah, year I'd like to forget. And like in that second, I flash back to every moment of me working retail and having an older person, you know, <laughs> check out. And you're like, that'll be 1960. And they're always like, good year. Oh, you know? no, it's happening. It's yeah, happened to it you. Is, it is happening. Oh, you know? my God. Wow. <laughs> God. I wonder if did the ca- do you think the cashier understood and was like, yeah, same. Or were they like younger and just like. Mm, what do you mean they were they were younger i assume they they definitely remember 2016 if they don't remember 2016 it would be a little weird i guess if they had a job at a grocery store um <laughs> i guess that's true yeah they really be those moments man i mm-hmm. i definitely feel that i think we're we're sort of poised to be in an interesting situation as grandparents or just as people Hmm. one day interacting with younger people and being able to very easily listen to music that is over a hundred years old and your your grandkids being subjected to that oh my god yeah i'm gonna play you the one of the classic the classic songs of humankind Mm. steely dan the entire mm. the entire discography of Steely Dan. Well, what you you would you would only you would only have to live like another what fifty something years, right? Yeah, I'd be in my seventies, give or take. Maybe yeah, more. yeah. Or early, it is very feasible that within fifty years you could be listening to hundred year old Steely Dan, aged like fine wine. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, ah, oh, what a headache to think yes. about, though. But I'm kind of excited. I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. kind of excited about that. You know. I, gotta, yeah. I, I also think, you know, when I when I'm a a older an older man, maybe a grandfather, who knows? I just want to mm-hmm. throw in some random like song recommendations. Like, y'all ever hear of Playboy Cardi? Well, it's gonna <laughs> blow your mind, and it's just awful. Like, cause music has just progressed past mumble rap, <laughs> or like just throwing. I just want to throw in some random ones, you know? Like, nothing. You know, we got the the popular things are too easy. You guys ever listen to Weed? It's gonna blow your mind too. It's insane. 
It's also you a know, very good band. Well, it's fair. it's come to my attention that the number one song the year I graduated high school was Thrift Shop. What? That, that is was, yeah. Oh god, our age difference is showing. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. No, my my principal played Thrift Shop over the over the school intercom once uh for Friday oh assembly. We've done that, but our school also had like every Friday you could like DJ music, mm. which was fun. So like they used to do that. So there was definitely a morning where I felt like it, I was drained out of my mind getting up at like six in the morning to go to school and just Macklemore was playing over the intercom at like <laughs> 7 a.m. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah. yeah. Do you remember the kids bop version of Thrift Shop? Oh, I do. Oh, Walk do into yeah, the club was... like I got a big rock. <laughs> <laughs> you know they were just like it's close enough it's fine it's fine my anaconda don't my anaconda don't want none unless you got fun hun what's the uh what's the kids bot version of wop i feel like that's gotta be just crazy oh censored. it's 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 exactly the same it's just about cats <laughs> <laughs> you had that locked and loaded you were ready to go with that you know, oh here's God. the here's the here's the thing I think about with Cardi B. There's that that clip of her on some late night show. I think it's Conan. She's sitting next to um, uh, John Mulaney. They're talking about prom, and Cardi B's like uh, clearly about to say something like self incriminating about uh, stealing a limo for prom. Oh my God! And then she's like, "Oh no, I can't say that. Kids watch me now." And it's like, but you what? You 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 have a you have a song called WAP and rare self aware. Uh, and and Cardi you're B. and you're and you're worried about the kids learning you stole a limo. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can't win them all, I guess. Mm. Anyways, uh, no, yeah. no, no, no. All all of that aside, you know. Yeah. Speaking of things that make us feel old, I'm mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm currently feeling, uh, you know, rather historic on on this ship here. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you keep your scarf over your face though, since we're outside. Oh, I always it's, uh, do. Very, yeah. very, very cold out. Even though we're in the the um, UCM's Arctic simulation, but yeah. Do you like this, uh, you know, 19th century sailor's garb we got going on? I'm I was really excited about the wool pants. That's my favorite thing here. Oh yeah, you know me. I, one of my favorite purchases of all time were those uh, vintage lumberjack pants. Yeah, no, they look super cool, and I, mm -hmm. I have kept my eye out for wool thrifted pants, and I have yet to find any that either fit or look cool. So they do have buttons for suspenders, which I think oh, is something I need elevate to get into. Oh, I suspenders mean, literally, fun. literally, the the suspenders <laughs> elevated. Oh, that you can put on the suspenders and elevate your outfit to the next level. Yeah, mm. you know, there is a guy that I pass on my drive, you know, because my, my drive to work is through winding country roads, and there right. is a man that I pass, and I'm pretty sure he's just getting his mail, but he definitely looks like a Civil War ghost. <laughs> uh, like, he is just this old man with this long white beard wearing, you know, a white shirt and pants with suspenders. He just looks like... 
you know, he's he's haunting an old battlefield or something. <laughs> oh my god, that is kind of fantastic. But, but to him, but to him, he's he, yeah, he's probably just you know taking out his trash or something, and he right, just happens to Cohen. He just happens to keep doing it at the same time I drive <laughs> by for work every day. <laughs> you got to make conversation with him. Be like, it's funny seeing you out here again. It's crazy. Mm-hmm, you got to stop mm-hmm. meeting like this. <laughs> um, but anyways, yes, you're probably all wondering why we are. Uh, embracing the frigid cold out here what seems to be like you know uh the arctic sea given the fact that there's some icebergs around us on our you know sh- on our mm-hmm. on our vessel mm-hmm. that we are on right now but that is because we're going to be covering a rather interesting historical mystery surrounding a expedition to the arctic by the british navy and that is focusing on the hms erebus and terror so do you do you know anything just off the bat, Zan, about these two ships? Um, I believe the terror I hear referenced a yeah. bit, and I do believe is there a, a, a kind of a quasi-fictional historical novel I think about it. Yeah, there's the Dan Simmons book, um, mm-hmm. Terror, and there's also the FX show that's on Hulu now, which is where I heard about it first, which is ah. more. It's 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 accurate, but also fantastical because the book does the same thing. Because mm-hmm. and you'll kind of see why that's able to do that because there's just this huge gap missing from this story. But I, you know, rather than talk about the that type of wandering, you know, the more mythological or paranormal curiosity that gets surrounded by this story, mm-hmm. I was interested in telling how that how this would have even happened and what life would have been like on ships like this in these type of Arctic expeditions, because it is kind of bizarre, you know, wondering why one would even want to go somewhere here like this. And also what you do during that whole point. And I think we got to convert these polar bears to Anglicanism. May, I think they were afraid of the polar bears, honestly. I mean, Mm. maybe unfortunately for the, you know, with the Inuit, that was probably the case trying to go up there. But in this case, mm. with these with these expeditions, it was about finding the Northwest Passage, specifically right. the, the 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 famed Northwest Passage, early on, so that they could get to China faster for trade. Which I'm gonna be honest, I don't feel like that's any faster. But I could be very wrong because <laughs> I'm not good at maps necessarily, or like spherical maps and trade mm-hmm. routes. But it was always like I'm I'm doing the math here, like looking at the map of Britain, and then you're going up into the literal Arctic where you have to cut through ice because they're still in the mini ice age, I believe, during this time, and then go around that way? I was like, this seems like a hassle. But here's where my mistake was. Suez doesn't exist yet. Right. And that's where, that's why I was like, oh, I understand now. And I mean, well, the, the, the Panama Canal doesn't exist yet. Um, no. But there... Yeah, I. it might be shorter... I. If maybe you did it when the weather was warm, and yes, it, there was some assumption that if that you could go around the top of uh, North America, maybe it is just slightly misleading because maps always two dimensional maps are always going to make the uh, northern latitudes, yeah, uh, you know, look larger. Where well, there's there's mm-hmm. stuff like the Great Circle Route, you know. Um, oh yeah that on a on a two-dimensional map looks like a longer route but 
is actually faster because oh. the uh, the Earth is round. Um, right. Which right. which is why a lot of times, you know, you do find yourself flying very north when you're going mm. uh, uh, to Europe to or from Europe. Gotcha. See, this is why I knew you would know more about this than I did. Because I'm just looking at only, map and like that's too only, far, only slightly, <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, it, it not, does. But yeah, but, but yeah, that it does. It does seem kind of like you know ridiculous, I guess, to us. But also, you know, it just took so long to sail around South yeah. America, and also Cape Horn, uh, the the southernmost part of South America. That was that was almost always where you lost men uh yeah when we're circumnavigating the globe uh and then you know because like even magellan's voyage like of all the people that left a lot of them turned back i think after cape horn uh oh wow magellan himself died in i think indonesia or something and somewhere in the south pacific mm-hmm. like only like a handful of those people ever made it back circumnavigating yeah. uh was was incredibly difficult uh and there was but there was like that drive to like can we get to east asia faster than if going all the way around africa right exactly yeah and so that's definitely at play here for sure and it starts to explain why there would be that eagerness to fund these type of expeditions and to advance the technology on these ships but we'll get to that in a little bit um so just in starting here on our tour maybe we can move like We'll, we'll move down into the into the decks because that way we won't freeze out here for the moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in May of 1845, two ships, the HMS Erebus and Terror, set sail under the command of famous explorer Sir John Franklin to find the Northwest Passage, which is the sea link that would connect the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. And so they set sail from Britain and headed towards Nunavut, Canada with two of the most advanced ships at the time. So these were included with heating systems, engines, and preserved foods that could last two full winters and even more, as well as a total crew of 129 souls. And at the end of July 1845, a whaler in Baffin Bay reported the two ships harboring as they waited for the ice to clear to begin their journey towards the Bering Strait. And this was Mm. the last time that any of the crew was seen alive. Oh my god. So... So two years after the expedition, the Admiralty sent out a search party for them, but it wasn't until the 1850s that some evidence started to be brought to light about what happened or what might have happened to these ships and their crew. But again, just to reiterate, no living person is ever seen again. There's no there's no eyewitness accounts of anything that happened. Jesus. So as a heads up, a lot of this is going to be some speculation, but we're going to do our best to look at some of the objects, the historical moments happening at the time, and what we know of life on these type of vessels to put things together. Mm-hmm. And so with that, I wanted to actually, since we're inside this Arctic vessel, I wanted to talk a little bit about that part of this journey, what it, life would be like on these boats, and also a little bit about Sir John himself. Living on an Arctic voyage vessel would definitely have been an experience that some might say was a bit frigid. Um, it's a little little joke there for this. It feels, mm. you know, necessary. I know it was right there. I can't. What do you, what do you want me to do? It was right there. But <laughs> it's too cold for um, me to laugh. Ah, uh, nice. Yeah. So there have been many expeditions to the Arctic and Antarctic in the past before this, but with even less advanced technology, yet they still had men sign up for this journey, and some of which even signed up just to follow Sir John himself. So I guess 
really one of the things is, well, who is this guy? Why is he so important that people are just willingly signing up for this adventure to be in the presence of this, this, um, yeah, this, this knighted figure, you know? So Sir John, so Sir John Franklin was actually an explorer who is famous for coming close to starving to death during one of his expeditions called the copper mine venture. And so this was an 18. Yeah. Imagine that you get famous because you almost died. It's kind of, it's, it's it's, it's a rough thing, but well, the, the 127 hours, I guess. Uh, uh, that's true. Oh, yeah. You know what? Good point. I guess it's kind yeah, of... Yeah, no, he would no, be like one of those figures. Yeah, yeah. But in this case, in the military, and he gains ranking through it. It's not necessarily right. a bad thing. It's just kind of like a, huh, one of those type of situations. Um, <laughs> so it, this expedition was taking place in 1819, and it started in Hudson Bay, and was to, and they were to go north towards the copper, to the Copper Mine River, except literally everything went bad he Mm. actually at one point fell into the river and almost froze to death and out of the 20 men that he was with and in command with 11 of them died so yeah it got to this point where men were forced to eat lichen due to most of them like dying of starvation and one murder with potential uh cannibalistic intentions happened well you know the one that got murdered made a joke about liking it Oh man, it's right there. <laughs> you got it. It's right there. It's lichen there. Um, there, there was lichen there actually. That's why they did that. But Sir John actually uh, ended up getting a nickname from this entire situation, which he would actually continue to have even during his reign on the terror or on the Erebus specifically. And so this nickname would be known as. You ready for this? Ready. The man who ate his boots. Huh. Well, <laughs> see, see, it's a huh situation. <laughs> exactly. You know, I guess they just had they they had different <laughs> conventions back then. It's the Hundred know? Years War. You know, it was. It's they kind of just make things. It was. Great. It wasn't even a hundred years. <laughs> technically, <laughs> technically, that is more abstract. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're, that's true. Um, but this is seen as because makes, he got this name. It, it just makes sense considering like the yeah. surname conventions in Britain. Sure. You know? No, for sure, for sure. Smith. You know. Which one? Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah. I'm sure there was a lot of Franklins. This was seen as a great act of sacrifice in the name of Royal Exploring, hence why he got a lot of renown from this and basically get like, you know, launched his career. So, mm-hmm. but the reason I'm bringing this up and why this story, this side story is important to the life on board these ships and the exploration itself is because Sir John had tons of experience traveling to the north and also coming close to death itself. And he was extremely experienced, knew his way around the Arctic and how to prepare and was aware of the dangers it held also. Now, mm-hmm. one main point theorists bring up as to why these ships disappeared and the expedition ultimately failed, is because Sir John had not been at sea for 17 years prior to this. Oh. However, yeah, so he hadn't been doing anything for 17 years, and all of a sudden was called upon by the Navy to do this, and so he did, because why not? And then the first time he goes back onto the ocean, he goes missing. Was this like a comeback tour for him? Yeah, yeah, there's a couple different, like, uh, explanations to it in terms of like what people were saying and what historians say about why he would have done it. I think it's that it's like a comeback tour. He's, you know, he wants to kind of regain the honor and have something going for him for his legacy, but he was not the first pick necessarily. 
So that's another mm. thing too. But I also think not everybody wanted to do this because there was a lot of expeditions to go north and it's hard. Like it's just a hard life. It's very harsh. Mm-hmm. It you're gone for like a incredible amount of time, you know. So I think it's he's older, he's married, he has children, very nice house. It's a little surprising as to why he would even just get up and go. But he's just he's he just putting on his sailor outfit, you know. Just yeah. like it, it's he's 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 like trying to he's get the belt over his belly. He's he finally mm-hmm. squeezes into his uniform. He's like, yeah. I still got it. I still got it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, but yeah, we should also note that this did, it it did also, however, like carry a lot of weight because he did have a lot of experience. So that could also be one of the reasons too, um, that they wanted him to go do this. But that's one of the points to be made as a counterpoint to it failing because he hasn't been there in 17 years is because he does have a lot of experience and it could very well be that it was just bad luck, Uh you know, that it, it happens. So this brings me back to the subject of why men would be signing up for these voyages to live in these type of quarters and these type of situations and to speculate what they may have witnessed because, again, we do not have any journal entries yet or anything yet that would give us sort of a firsthand account of what life was like on these specific boats. Life at sea in general, I feel like, is already just difficult when you're on a boat for at this time period for a long amount of time. But try going to a place so cold that not having a scarf covering your face could mean literally instant frostbite. Like oh, it, it, they're getting to temperatures that bad. These, so you know, that's why I was saying, you know, you got to put your scarf on when we're outside. Um, but these type of ventures got souls; they got people on board because they pay. The pay was pretty good, and the call to adventure is too much for some to pass up. You know, because this is like uncharted territory to a certain right. extent. You, imagine never seeing anything like this before, experiencing anything as cold as this. It's it's right. got some allure to it. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. It. It definitely was the type of thing that you could imagine coming home and you'd never have to you know buy yourself another drink again you know you'd be yeah you'd be eating out on that for the rest of your life probably if oh you yeah retu- if you return to some of these sailing towns oh 100 percent. yeah i mean this was a big deal it's 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 because it's also hard you know just being on a boat like this and dealing with those type of conditions um yeah but even, even you know, I got to imagine the stories you're able to tell has to be kind of crazy because on their way, like even on their way towards the Arctic Circle, you know, you're, you're, they would have witnessed incredible wildlife in the waters, bits of botanical life, and also just fog that would cover the ocean and make it so you can even see what was going on or even give allusions to that, um, you know, to what you were seeing out there. But also that the weather patterns would just be kind of, different each time you were going out into those areas not to mm-hmm. mention probably seeing aurora aurora borealis that has oh been god cool. yeah and and having long nights and long days depending on what was happening so again all this is just like completely the polar opposite uh to weather in britain <laughs> i'm sorry this, that there. was that was on the spot that was right there <laughs> um it's gonna be a lot of that everyone mm-hmm. so um but yeah so i mean this sounds pretty cool except what would happen if you misjudge the weather patterns? Hmm. Or better yet, what happens if you don't take care of yourself at sea? You know, what if you don't brush your teeth or you don't eat healthy and don't have a decent diet? I Things, mean, uh, I mean, I'm I'm living with that, and you know, it's me waking up groggy. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting kind of Donner Party vibes. 
You would be correct in saying that, I think. Uh, there's mm-hmm. definitely some Donner Party vibes here, at least a little bit later on when we find out what would have happened to some of their food sources. Yeah. Um, because it, but, but also, I, it's interesting you bring that up, too, because there's something about the resilience of being in the cold for so long that the human body can mm-hmm. be cold for long periods of time that I feel like is worth bringing up here as well. Um, but at this point where they're at when they're living in this ship... Because of the technology on these boats, we're talking, these are the top of the line models at the time. You know, everything in these boats was was thought of. There's a heater in here. There's an engine in here. So actually the, the boat, the both Terror and the Erebus would have been, if the engine, if everything is running according to plan, the heat inside mm-hmm. would actually have been quite tolerable. Still cold, but tolerable to a point, you mm-hmm. know? Whereas all these older uh journeys did not have that so they would have been absolutely freezing constantly so it's a little bit better in that way so you have some push and pull um but that also brings me then to what you would be eating because that's another important thing to make sure that you don't like die or get sick or scurvy which is gonna come up yeah it's not great gotta gotta be drinking those uh you know those mojitos with the lime wedge to really you know fight up well it's funny it's funny you say that because actually i don't know if they had the mojitos probably not but the sailors were actually given lime or lemon uh wedges and just juice in general to be drinking within their meals or every week or so so they could um prevent scurvy which i don't know if it actually does if you only have a little bit at a time i feel like it, you do need it in a specific diet but they would have I also don't been know for ch- sure. I do know that uh, spruce, actually, especially uh, in oh. Canada, uh, was also used to uh, fight scurvy. Because hmm. there, there that. is, That's there is a good, if you if you have spruce tips uh, in your cooking oh. or like brewed into a tea, it can uh, give you some vitamin C. Oh, that's interesting. I did not know that. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. Because I know, like, that was the problem here is that there's no fresh fruit or fresh vegetables at one point because, you know, you just, that's mm. the first thing you eat before it goes bad. So you're dealing with a lot of, like, lemon juice, lime juice, and also canned goods, which we'll talk about in a moment. Right. So that's the, this is like a huge issue on these polar expeditions is getting that fresh food because you're going to a place where there is no ports. You know, there's nowhere to restock. Oh, um, so getting enough vitamin C is difficult. But actually, the Inuit did not have this problem, though, because they were eating their meat, and they do eat their meat uh, raw. And so they could actually acquire uh, acquire the proper nutrients this way in order to prosper and be able to live out in some of the more harsher conditions, which I thought was really interesting, too, in, sort of, in right. terms of that uh, comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, as just enough, now I'm finding out this other way of vitamin C, too. But in the early stages, they also would have been supplied with just general livestock, you know, cows, pigs, sheeps sheep sheeps sheep and hens <laughs> uh to be the first supply of of food as well and they were also had this is interesting they had some domesticate domestic animals on board as well so they had a they had a mm. monkey that was given uh, i don't know exactly what kind but it was given to the ship by lady franklin i think it's safe to say any monkey is not a good decision the, no. to bring on an arctic expedition right like i felt what was the point of that but uh you know because also the crew just found it annoying because they kept stealing things from everybody so that, at least that's one account that we have which i thought was interesting um and then they had i know right it's just like oh my god they had a um it's i guess it's kind of like pirates of the caribbean in that way you know oh yeah i guess <laughs> you know when you say it like that right 
it's like kind of fun and, and annoying in the same time. Um, but they also had a dog named, uh, it was a Newf- at Newfoundland, actually, a oh. dog named Neptune, which is oh. fun. Yeah. Yeah, this was cool. You know, I think, you know, they liked him. And then a cat as well, you know, to take care of mice and stuff and rats. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, so we got all kinds of animals living on this boat. But also in regards to the living situations, uh, on board the ship, only officers and Marines had their own living quarters. And so the main crew of the ship slept in hammocks hung from the deck beams in the main open area of the hull. So, you know, that's pretty standard, though, I feel like in most vessels at this time. Um, but these are, again, these are all very, like, standard things that you would see in ships at this time. But, yeah, and then another big issue, though, is the temperature outside lowering itself to about negative 48 degrees Celsius and could sometimes only be negative 35 degrees Celsius during the day. So mm. it's uh, very cold. And, again, these heating systems are definitely helping them out. But, again, that requires them to be working. Uh, but here's one of the issues, though these temperatures would have caused a major problem for conducting navigation stuff like activities outside on the deck because sailors had to be careful not to place cold metal instruments up to their face or eyes because it could rip your skin off, which is horrifying to imagine. Um, Yeah. Right. And this is, and even like you have to be careful how much exercise you do outside and how much you exert yourself because even um, like, sweat can turn to ice in one's undergarments depending on how cold it is out there and so hypothermia and frostbite are also a major threat to the expedition as well and um for for them also exploring outside of the boat which we'll talk about in a little bit um but these things all this happening in terms of what would go on outside in these frigid temperatures might have factored into what actually happened to them later on yeah like all all of this being said it, it like Okay, so what's the mystery of how they died if, like, just everything can kill you? Well, that's the thing. It's, like, it's kind of curious. <laughs> I mean, the, the, it's more like what happened, in a sense, to all of them. Because we only found some remains. And we'll get to that mm. part in a hot second. What do you but think it's, the it's... coldest you've ever been is? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, I don't even know. Maybe like negative 11 Fahrenheit, I feel like. Maybe lower than that. It's tough to say. Not like, I don't think like I did. Just like the, the coldest you've ever felt. Like you were just so desperate Ooh. to get warm. Hmm. Honestly, probably being in Germany for the first time in Munich during the winter was mm. cold. I don't think I've ever been that cold. Like in a sense, yeah. just walking around and like wanting, getting, needing to get inside because it was so freezing out. How mm-hmm. about you? Um, I think, I think like the first, the first or second time I ever went to Boston, maybe the maybe it was the second mm. time I went to Boston for uh, one of the one of the New Year's parties that we would do in undergrad. Okay, like oh. I think I got there and. I was coming from Florida, even though I went to school in Montana, I had gone home first. And I think I all mm. I had was like my leather motorcycle jacket. Oh, and I was no. like, and I was like, I'm used to Montana, you know, and I'll be inside. I'll be fine. And then I went up and it was like a two mile walk from where I got off the bus to get to my friend's apartment. And 
or not even two miles. No, I think it was like a mile or something. And I was like, I can do that. Okay. That, that's that's an easy walk. And I was struggling. I was the the wind, that wind that comes off the water mm, just yeah. cut through me. You know, I was oh, I was God. just in jeans and my leather jacket. And like Oh yeah, man. No, I was so unprepared for that. I wasn't wearing gloves. Uh, I wasn't wearing a hat. I didn't have a scarf like that. I th- I think that was the, the coldest I have ever felt. I mean, just God. being unprepared for a Boston winter. Mm, yeah, that sounds incredibly the, cold. The, wi- the wind, I think, really just I, I hadn't mm. even in Montana. I hadn't experienced anything like that. It's that ocean wind really does it, man. Honestly. Yeah. yeah especially in the winter. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess it would be like that cold maybe times two here in the situation, Mm -hmm. I imagine, in terms of trying to feel like what it would be like. Because that's one of the things that's hard. It's like trying to put yourself in that position of like imagining what is it like having to be that cold in European garb to which they're trying their best to get as warm Mm -hmm. clothing as possible, but it's also military gear, which means they have to make a lot of it. So it's never really great, you know? Mm. It's just one of those things where you're like, oh, my God, like how much did people get frostbite because of just ill preparation, you know? Ugh, yeah. um, and, in, and in this case, too, like just fast forwarding us towards this story, because this takes place over a course of a few years. And mm-hmm. there's a point where they end up uh, having to winter winter over for a year because you can only make it so far in the season. And then eventually you need to stop and you need to just lay anchor and you're holding out until the ice breaks in the spring. So you're spending a couple of months just stuck in the middle of wherever and mm-hmm. day by day, just doing your chores and, and eating, you know, the food that you have prepared and, and going from it, you know, because they first they first winter in Beachy Island. This is something that we have. Um, we, we have evidence of based on where it was left over. OK, but so this would have been the first place that they stayed This is the first winter. And this is where things actually go bad to a certain degree. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so after this, the, after they wintered here in the spring, Franklin and his ships sailed south down uh, Peel Sound. And as they continued their voyage, they made it to the northmost point of King William Island and then were trapped in ice flow uh, coming down from the McClintock Channel. And that's the tricky thing about Arctic navigation is one can misinterpret the signs or be struck with bad luck and get trapped in ice. And what's essentially is thought to have happened is that they they made their way further through the channel. They believed the ice to have been melted. And since it was a spring path, could be cut out. So they were like, no problem. It's going to be easy. Except uh, the ice instead swelled and froze over, which as it gets colder and colder, the ice goes deeper and deeper. And it makes it virtually impossible to move. And it actually, as it grows, it even lifts the boats out of the water as well, oh which God. is terrifying to even think about. It's like, you're really yeah. not going anywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, in the spring of 1847, a small expedition of crew members traveled across the ice to Point Victory uh, on the shore and deposited a written record of their progress, which is how we kind of know all this happened. And right. this is a trans... We actually have the transcript here of that letter. Um, so maybe we could take a look at that now. Okay. So this is the first message. They're, they're pretty short. And the first message, message is on the 28th of May, 1847, HMS ships Erebus and Terror wintered in the ice in latitude 70 degrees 5 north, 
longitude 98 degrees 23 west. And having wintered in 1846-7 at Beachy Island in latitude 74 degrees 43-28 north, longitude 20, 91 degrees 39-15 west, after having ascended Wellington Channel to latitude 70 degrees and returned by the west side of Cornwallis Island, Sir John Franklin commanding the expedition, all well party consisted of two officers and six men left the ships on Monday 24th of May 1847. Uh, and then the second message follows this up. In the 25th of April, 1848, HMS ships Terra and Erebus were deserted on the 22nd April 5th, leagues north northwest of this having been bested since 12th of September, 1846. The officers and crews consisting of 105 souls under the command of Captain F.R.M. Crozier landed here in latitude 69 degrees 37 42 longitude 98 degrees 41 or longitude 98 degrees 41 this paper was found by lieutenant irving under the cairn supposed to have been built by sir james ross in 1831 four miles to the northward where it had been deposited by the late commander gore in may 1847 sir james ross pillar has not however been found and the paper has been transferred to this position which is that in which sir j ross's pillar was erected Sir John Franklin died on the 11th of June, 1847, and the total loss by deaths in the expedition has been to this date nine officers and 15 men. And this is by uh, James Fitzjames, Captain HMS Erebus, FRM Crozier Captain and Senior Officer, and start on tomorrow 26th for Beck's Fish River. So they end up leaving. I thought you were going to say that the monkey wrote the note. Like it was the only survivor. <laughs> it was the monkey. No, <laughs> the no, monkey, no, no. The this monkey is... was driving the car. It's just like that joke. It's just exactly, exactly. No, these. <laughs> this was pretty. This is actually a standard action where they would have these like outposts that were these. The, the cairn is like a little rock statue that yeah, they yeah. notes in. Yeah, you know. So they would, for the for those who don't know, they would use those to sort of leave tracks of what was going on. And so these notes are essentially almost like a year apart, and that's all the written evidence we have of what happened specifically. Mm -hmm. So we know Sir John Franklin died. We know a bunch of the crew died. We don't know how um, we can only speculate, you know, to a certain degree. Uh, and that's where I think this gets a bit like, it's where speculation comes in and it can be kind of interesting. Like, well, what did happen? You know? And like in the right. FX show, it's more mythological and there's a creature that gets them in some other theories that we'll get to more in a moment. It's about how they went insane and it's more of like a Donner Party situation. So there's a mm -hmm. bunch of stuff here that becomes interesting to think about. But before we get to that, because that's sort of the more the, the meat of this whole story, I wanted to take a moment to talk about where the Inuit would have been in all of this, because that's, an I think, an important factor here. I just wanted to go back to the point of where, you know, the homeland to which this is these mm -hmm. explorers are essentially trespassing in. And this was, again, the area of Nunavut, which is the Northwest Territory of Canada above Manitoba and Saskatchewan, just to pinpoint this on a map a bit. And they would have been, the, the Inuit would have been traveling, trading, living, and hunting around these areas that the HMS Terror and Erebus passed by. However, where the boats ended up being stuck was a remote and desolate area that the Inuit rarely visited. Uh, this area is known as Tuninik, which roughly translates to the back of beyond. And because mm -hmm. this place, this was a place where the Inuit rarely traveled to, the crew could not necessarily rely on them for meat or supplies. But mm -hmm. nevertheless, one wonders if there may have been contact with them at some point out on the ice. And after all, the crew were out there for what seems like years. Because we don't Would, fully it, at know. The, at this point in 
Canadian history, is this a territory that is recognized as Canadian and therefore British? Or is this, you know, to them, this is, you know, still either sovereign territory or just, you know, land that nobody really cares to claim? Um, I'm not entirely sure, to be honest, but I think it's the latter. It's more land that people don't necessarily want you know, I, I know there's right. been relations like set up. There's been yeah. that sort of understanding yeah, of who these mm-hmm. people are. You know, like they know yeah. who the British are in this case. I Yeah, because I don't know a ton about Canadian history. I feel like, you know, when we learned about it in social studies class, I remember, you know, obviously Canada's uh, population dro- density drops off pretty steeply once you get away from the... Uh, basically everything close with the u.s border um yeah but from my understanding nunavut has kind of always been a uh a a mostly uh indigenous territory Mm -hmm. yeah i believe so i don't think there's any been like any settlements up there or colonies or anything like that it's it's been pretty self-governed in that sense right Uh, to my to my understanding i could be very wrong you know and how the history of that maybe that's something we have to explore more into mm-hmm. specifically yeah. how that was happening because i know they were prospering well under you know their traditions and how they would hunt and do things mm-hmm. um which again i think is sort of the the irony here of the the colonizers going out to be the more advanced and then uh, dying very quickly unfortunately right. um in this case or so it's it's just one of those i don't know it's one of these things but um but yeah i'm not i'm not entirely sure but yeah so that's that's what they would have been uh presumably why there may not have been any contact or people were able to get help and then, you know, moving down the islands. Because if they did escape, they would have to go towards the closest settlements, which I believe would have been like, I guess King, well, I guess maybe like Baffin Bay, getting as far south as that, or even Uh, maybe closer. Like one of the, essentially one of those British manned outposts or a whaling station or somewhere after making contact with Inuit uh, peoples to then go home or get something out there. But because that never really happens, we don't, that you know, it's just presumed that everybody perishes. Mm-hmm. But I think the big question, though, is why and how, maybe. And so the, the unfortunate thing is we don't entirely know. You know, a lot of this is speculation, but it's also based on archaeological evidence to start you know, or forensic evidence to a certain degree to start putting together a crime scene as to how this could have gone so bad so fast and why mm-hmm. no one survived. Um, and it's actually, you know, not until the eight, until 1850 that the wife of uh, John Franklin, Jane Franklin, approaches Parliament to insist on a search party for her husband and the crew of the HMS Terror in Erebus. Due to the public and and due to public concern, the Admiralty actually sent out search parties by both land and sea. But by 1850, there's no news of them or any trace, and the Admiralty set a twenty thousand pound reward for any news. Oh my god. And it actually took some 30 years of evidence to make it back to Britain, which we actually have on display here inside our replicas and this includes empty tins, cans, cutlery, cutlery, snow goggles and pots. We have actually acquired over time lots of different artifacts, but at this point, like imagine this, you know, it's 1850, it's been multiple I mean, man, I mean they left in 1845 just to give a heads up here. So that's 5 years. Nothing. No god. word of these guys. But but the I guess the thing is because these voyages would be multiple years, it 
it just sounds like it would be there's just sort of that delay that that natural delay you'd expect and then suddenly you're like oh wait we haven't heard from them in exactly you know one year too many and they they could they could have they could have been gone for years at that point and just they're like ah they're taking a while well that's the thing yeah you, there there is no you know there's no telephone you can't just call or report in so it's like they just have this i think they have a sort of like guideline of okay it's going to take x amount of hours and days to get here it's going to take this year to do this it's going to take that year to do here so we should expect to hear from them by like 1848 mm-hmm. and as soon as you pass these deadlines it's like okay they might not be coming back like what's going on oh my god so it's sort of like sending out they sent out search parties to find the boats they didn't find the boats. That's the crazy part. Yeah. Huh. So this is really, so this I think is like, in sort of answering that question that you had in the beginning of like, well, why, you know, we, we, all these things can kill you. It's, it's assumed of why they died. I think a lot of the mystery too was trying to figure out where these boats went. Cause mm-hmm. they're just gone, you know? And it's, mm-hmm. that's pretty crazy. Um, and also just like all those boats would have had, evidence in them journals writings you know things that could have just made a better picture yeah um but actually so so this is all like led to just tons of theories over the years and this is a story that's been you know essentially let's say this starts in 1850 into our present day so this has been spanning a a long time but there's a uh there's a bunch of theories that were going around and but one of the ones that has a lot more uh gravity to it was based off of what Dr. John Ray brought back from his expedition in 1854. And this is actually after hearing about mul- after hearing multiple uh, Inuit stories, it suggested that the men resorted to cannibalism due to finding, uh, and this was due to finding pots and pans next to body parts on different voyages hmm. uh, or going, you know, exhibition, ex- expeditions going out to find uh, evidence. And another theory built from what objects were found, or another theory that's built from what objects were found, suggests that the men uh, succumbed to scurvy and starvation over time. Mm. So this is the sort of canon theory happening in 1854. Then that puts us to 1981, where forensic anthropologist Dr. Owen uh, Beattie found early human remains on King Henry Island that were overlooked on original expeditions. Mm. This was very very important because they could use forensic technologies to identify what killed the men and to identify their remains and mm-hmm. this actually led to the popular theory that we still have around today and it honestly is the one that makes the most sense is that it was a lot of this could have been caused by a uh, lead poisoning from tin cans that caused that would cause the men to die oh. um and this is actually supported by a BD's team finding intact corpses of crew members and testing them testing their tissue for causes of death and finding high levels of lead in them. And they also, BD also suggests that the tin cans, which were a uh, major, you know, these are a huge revolutionary concept at this time, right? Canning food and being able to preserve it for long amounts of time. Um, and he believes that, that they were the cause because they used lead soldering on them. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah, because I was going to say tin isn't necessarily No, tin is fine. Tin is fine. Lead soldering is not. So that's that is the, the issue. It's just did, cheapening. Did they know at that point that lead was bad? I yeah, guess... that's the crazy part. Or at least w- they were aware-ish. But I think it's, it's this is like... The lead Sinclair. soldering, I guess you wouldn't think of that. That seems... Exactly. Uh, I guess if it's affecting canned food, I guess that's how it would work so much faster, right? That 
that that would mm, you would just get like more and more of it i guess i don't know enough about it i know obviously like you know the the safe amount of lead is no lead but right but like you know the romans were like literally flavoring their food with lead uh and you know you got you got a few good decades before you eventually elect your horse to be in the senate you know yeah yeah I don't, yeah that was that yeah i don't know if it's necessarily the, like that yeah bad it, it, it just seems, point, but it it's, just seems it's, a little fast i guess i well, I, I, I i am obviously yeah. not an expert i'm just i'm slightly skeptical of blaming it on lead I well would, that's the thing yeah i i would i would say the bigger glaring problem was going to the arctic well yeah exactly it's, it's like <laughs> well, what I, well what got him sarge <laughs> uh, i don't know maybe the cold and running out of supplies <laughs> but because i think the problem here is and the why the lead theory is a bit i don't know like that's that's sort of my deal with it is that i don't think it's really the issue here i think it's just that like it, yeah it's a little crazy these people have tons of lead in them i wonder why and it's because that's all you have to eat mm-hmm. and so you know they're just ingesting these these um this food constantly in the show you know in the show in the book i believe too they make a point about that where it's like they're kind of going insane and that's like a major issue so i think rather than looking at the lead as as the thing that killed them we can look at it this is my just speculation of course Mm -hmm. i'll get into my theory in a bit um we can look at it as it's a contributing factor to things that could have happened later on possibly Mm -hmm. and also that that includes the degradation of health as well because if you can't move you're not going anywhere you know because i guess like a lot of the 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 questions that people have is why didn't they try to go out and explore why couldn't they find somewhere to go you know how could they have left and you know i think there's a few things here to um to look at it in that way which i guess then i could explain my take on it and then i'll get to where we're at today in the future with this story but my this is my speculative theory is that i think it's a combination of events that led to their demise and ultimately created the lost voyage mm-hmm. so with just this is just pure speculation but i think they mistakenly went ahead on their mission thanks to a lack of weather knowledge and maybe arrogance and got swept up in the ice swell and thanks to the lack of nutrition and perhaps the maybe like i said the lead in the tins aiding in that health degradation um it made the overall health of the crew even worse as time went on and regardless of the lead or even scurvy conditions surviving in a place like that on a a wooden vessel running out of fuel with no raw meat or materials in sight decreases your odds drastically of survival Mm -hmm. and i imagine a lot of them walked back to find their way to people and maybe they did resort to eating each other as we know that was a thing that happened in other expeditions as i pointed to Uh in the beginning but I propose that the lack of nutrients during a prolonged time and then a sudden surge of activity led to a major loss of opportunity for escape. Mm-hmm. If they, let's say, left as even like, let's just say they left as late as a month after their entrapment where it's like, we're not getting out of this ice. This is going to be an issue we need to figure out now. If they would have left maybe a month later, I think they would have had enough food, energy and good health to make it back somewhere. But mm-hmm. who knows? Because they could have just hit bad luck again, right? So I, I, that's that's where I'm coming from on this. Okay, because I don't yeah. think it's just one clear thing. I think it's just uh, bad timing and bad luck. All of these things uh, causing right. issues, right? But 
mm-hmm. my, my theories aside, back to the actual truth here, I guess. Uh-huh. That, as much truth as we can have in these type of situations. Mm-hmm. Um, there was actually, in, in 2014 to 2016, <laughs> you know, funny enough, right? Um, it bring the thanks to Parks Canada with collaboration of the Inuit Heritage Trust, the wrecks of the HMS Terra and Erebus were actually found. Oh wow! Uh, so they did actually locate them, and in 2019 they returned to the wrecks to further explore it. And this has been there's been so much evidence and material found there, and it's actually one of Canada's largest underwater archaeological sites and ongoing digs because they're Holy still cow. doing it. Yeah, so it's this crazy, it's it basically, you know, they spent 100,000 hours so far underwater, and this is up to 2019, so it's probably more now, and have been uncovering loads of new artifacts and rooms held in the ships, and these artifacts include porcelain officers' dishes, beverage containers, a toothbrush, remnants of an accordion, and even clothes, and all of the items are actually, they're jointly owned by the government of Canada and the Inuit. Mm-hmm. And these items have been underwater for nearly 120 years, but... Because of the frigid waters of the Arctic, they've been remarkably preserved, which is really incredible. Mm. And so if you, you know, and we we even have an, an officer's epaulette uh, remarkably intact that we found in the footage. We can actually look at it right here. And mm. so this this whole process, is it's, it's ongoing. This is something we'll probably hear more about. Um, but it's majorly supported from, it's it's. It's it's majorly uh, from the support of the Inuit Heritage Trust and those working on it. And it's it's an investig this investigation has actually created an interesting collaboration effort uh, yeah. for uncovering the story that leaves us with a lot it, it leaves us with a lot to be desired and more mysteries that'll come with it because now there's the potential to uncover personal artifacts and personal things and items that can explain to us more what happened. So I think I think the thing here too is that it's maybe not necessarily about the mystery of of like like a true crime thing where it's like well how did they die and how did they go here I think it's these ships being so advanced at the time being this this bold exploration let's say regard i i think even in face of what the age of exploration brought mm-hmm. i think it's one of those moments where it's like what was the everyday life in in a case like this like where it's right. not just on the atlantic you're not in the pacific you're in the middle of the arctic you don't know where you are to a certain extent because they're going past they're, they're going past the map you know this is a point where yeah. the map is blank and they are filling it in as they go i think at one point sir john reported that he he like filled in a certain part and was like satisfied because he could part his his name on the map a little bit you know <laughs> but that's sort of what's going on here wow yeah, yeah. i it's it's really incredible i mean it it it, it it's so tantalizing, I guess, that there's the fin- you know the some sort of finality to it. There will be more information as it goes, but with yeah. all of it, you just want to put yourself in that headspace of exactly what on earth was it like, and that's short that that's sort of like um that horrifying thing to imagine where uh you know, maybe you're not dead, but you're watching the supplies dwindle and you're just sort yeah. of, you're just sort of biding your time until, uh, yeah, it just, uh, mm-hmm. it all comes crashing down. Yeah, exactly. I think that's one of the fears here. And that's definitely one of the things that would have been happening because it's, it's a slow death. Yeah. Essentially. And it's, it's sort of trying to accept like, okay, we haven't left. We've spent all of our supplies on this winter. It's getting colder and we're weak. So now mm-hmm. what do we do? Like no one, no one knows where they are. You know, no one's coming this way, oh and you couldn't even do it if you wanted because of the ice. 
because the ice moves and depending, you know, your, your routes are essentially being opened depending on when the ice cracks and cuts open. Mm-hmm. And so having to propel yourself through that and, and try to cut through it as much as you can and blow, blow it up. But if the ice freezes over and it creates an entirely separate landmass and it's floating, you know, if no <laughs> one knows your original location, it's like, how the heck are you, they going to find you? So, I mean, that's one of the things at play here where it's like even in the 1850s where they're exploring to find the lost explorers, it's like, how do you even start to begin that? And I guess that's one of those, it's it's kind of like a ghost story in a sense where you're like, those who went to sea and they never came back. And it's like terrifying, you know, Mm -hmm. literally the terror. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, no, it's, it's a wild story. I mean, and I, I totally see the temptation, too, to try and overlay uh, a horror narrative onto it. You know, it's so yeah. it's so easy to put a supernatural spin on it. Um, mm-hmm. and, oh, yeah. And 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 I guess it, it has that lack of closure similar to like an Amelia Earhart type thing. Although I know there's the uh, the thing with Amelia Earhart being eaten by coconut crabs, uh, which is horrific. When yeah. you think about it, oh <laughs> incredibly, <my God. laughs> incredibly oh horrific. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm really glad you brought this story in. This is, uh, this is really, really interesting and great research. Oh, thank you. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy to. It's been something that's been circling around my mind. Like, so, I mean, honestly, since I watched the show, I do think the show is worth watching. It's, it doesn't, because, because again, there's this gap of like, all right winter 1847 to like 48 what's happening what's going on like we don't know so you can kind of include certain things there and I, and I think the first season of the terror is really interesting and in just highlighting bits of that time period because mm-hmm. you know it's just an odd thing that I, I don't know I just never really learned much about arctic exploration to the point like arctic exploration where you're looking for the northwest passage and why and the sort of hype train to do that and the craziness yeah. I feel like that comes with it, right? Like it's just such an odd thing. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just an it's a fascinating story, and I feel like it's 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 definitely in line with what you're saying with like Amelia Earhart, where it's one of those things where you just we will not know, and it's not necessarily this grandiose adventure or you know true crime like story where it's like well they all went missing and they were gone and what happened and they were never and seen I, I think, again yeah it's just a, it's a bit more haunting yeah you know, it's a bit more like it's it's a very quiet mystery in a sense and it's i mean it's really mm-hmm. not a mystery to a certain extent it's more of the mystery of we will not have those accounts we won't know what actually happened what could have possibly happened what they could have improved on Right, what could have been fixed? Because right. at least Sir John, when he came back the first time after almost dying, it's like I think he figured out some things maybe he shouldn't do. Right, like took notes, <laughs> I guess. Not to make light of a horrific situation, I imagine surviving that was awful. And I know lots of sailors at that time have their accounts of almost mm-hmm. dying. It's pretty common, but I, I don't know. One just has to wonder, like, what would we have learned from it? Would it have mattered? Yeah, even? yeah. No, I mean because that. It ultimately the the way history played out. No, we didn't. Uh, <laughs> we, we we didn't end up uh, going try to go around Canada and Alaska, right? You know, and it's kind of crazy when you think of it. I, I guess that's also the sort of feudal thing that you're thinking about. You're imagining like even if you got through the Arctic, uh, in order to get to China 
where do you have to go through the Bering Strait? Yes. One, some of the most notoriously just awful seas, uh, yeah. you know, to to sail. And yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's not like it would have gotten better, I guess. If no, I, I feel like they would have been like, ah, God, we got to just build the canals now. It's over. It's just it's fine. Just invest is 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 the, the Bering Straits where that um. Where's that crab show? F- that, yeah, that, that, that's yeah. That's you know what I'm dead, talking that's about. That's right? deadliest, deadliest catch. catch. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we would have had a, a faster version of that. I guess of deadliest catch. That <laughs> that is terrifying. By the way, though, I'm sorry. That show is horrific in a sense of like I can't I can't imagine what it's like being on open seas like that. Oh, okay. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I yeah. D- does does anyone like actually? Here's the thing, though. The sounds it's gonna sound awful. It's like. <laughs> As far as I know, I, I do remember someone in one of the early seasons does fall off one of the ships and they can't get them back. Oh. Uh, but also, like, I feel like as far as uh, people that have been on the show, the only one that I've heard of was, like, one of the old captains. And, you know, they smoke, like, so much. And it's like, well, cigarettes got them before <laughs> the Bering Sea did. Right, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's a win to a certain extent. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, yeah. That's I don't know. I've also I've also started reading Moby Dick. Finally, you've inspired me yes, to do so. So I feel yes. like I'm translating. Like all this research is in part fueling my read now. So it, it is different for sure. But I don't know. It's just it's an interesting, interesting times. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a good book though. No, I, I mean, so obviously, we'll have to talk about Moby Dick as time goes. Yeah, on. this is me announcing that that is that that conversation is coming. It's going to happen. <laughs> We're going to be doing our exhibition on our expedition. Yeah, like, well, an expedition exhibition, you know, uh, <laughs> tour on Moby Dick. I'm sure in the few in the near future, I'm going to try to power through it mm-hmm. um, and take my power through it as well as take my time with it because it's it, readjusting to that type of English is definitely been oh a bit of a yeah challenge. yeah it's very old. To a certain, you know, a little, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's how Will sound in X amount of years, I guess. Yeah, Will, uh, you know, the, the the future monks listening to this. Uh, <laughs> right. They have to decode our uh, our 21st century patois. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, just lingo changes so quickly. I can't imagine how uh, outdated uh, everything we're saying will sound in a year. This is like very, uh, yeah, honestly. Oh, well, think about it. Like even in 2016, how we were talk, talk, wow, talking, talking. talking yeah, to, I remember back in 2016 when we were talking. <laughs> we were talking. Oh god, I was down on the corner, Teddy, Teddy, Ted. There was these tweet, tweet, birds that shaping and beeping and eating wings. And the link was Jaime and his girlfriend Gertrude, who works in the shirt factory. And what do you think they should see? But these tweet, tweet, birds that shaping and beeping and eating wings. And it was 2016. How? Wow, that was impressive. Jeez, man. Did you go to like summer camp and memorize that? Uh, no, my dad will just say that oh. sometimes, and huh. I have no idea what it is. Huh. Okay, and, you just know it now. Yeah, so I just know it. <laughs> A passage of information for the, you know that we can hold on to in living memory. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, that th- this is it's it's definitely. I'm I'm glad you found the story interesting. I hope all of you have found something interesting in it as mm-hmm. well. I don't know how much historical importance is there, but I do think it's just fascinating. And again, wondering 
what we can learn from it now as this research continues. I mean, it's it's exciting to know that there's an archaeological dig currently happening or on and off happening, depending on weather and such, you know, that there's research being conducted on it, photographs being taken of the works that were on store there. We can get a little bit more information on the personal lives of these of these people that were out there. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I think I think it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's uh, incredibly interesting. And I think engaging to, with people because it does have the room there for you to uh, insert your imagination into it. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, uh, again, for this fantastic tour, Joe. I think oh, it's time no for us to head back to the museum and yes, warm up. Yes, I'm cold. Yes, I yes. am cold. As much Let's as I, I love the sea, I tend to like when we do exhibitions in warmer places. Mm, we have to go back to the tropic at some point or the forest to go with all the mosquitoes. We got to revisit that. <laughs> Although I guess we got to deal with the mosquitoes, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, well, uh uh horrible conditions aside uh what do you have going on outside of the museum uh well i believe my my solo exhibition at saint kate's arts hotel wrapped up uh this week so now you but there is i still have another show in milwaukee which is still happening uh which is at real tinsel gallery it's Mm. called teleportal presents movement and that's with my the collective that I'm a part of, Teleportal. Um, the opening reception is going to be September 9th from 5 to 8. There's going to be PM, that is. And there's going to be a closing reception October 21st from 5 to 8 p.m. as well. So mark those dates if you're in the area. Nice, uh, it's nice. It's be very exciting. Lots of stuff going on there. I also have music available to stream. My album Biomes is out everywhere. So feel free to go and listen to that, especially if you want some ambient vibes. Um, mm-hmm. Working on some new video stuff. Uh, We've got some collaborations in the near future that I'm really excited about. And hopefully I'm going to be starting some new music soon. Uh, but at the moment, that's pretty much all I got going on. Uh, Zan, what do you have on the horizons? Oh, me? Um, well, yes. on the horizons are the Northwest Passage. Uh, um, no, I... Uh... Um, I don't have a ton of specific stuff to announce just yet. Like I've sort of been alluding to, uh, currently have some other stuff in progress. As usual, I have my art up on my website, zampeters.com, where you are always welcome to check that out. Check it out, check it out. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but yes, of course, please stream, uh, Joe's music, uh, often, uh, and appreciate uh, that yeah you know at the dentist's office uh at the car wash at the um, airport it could mm, be fun at the airport mm -hmm, i don't mm -hmm. know you know i think i think when you first you know when you first sent me (laughs) the album i was waiting for a flight at the airport oh my god how'd you feel Did did it work I mean, I my plane landed safely. So uh, okay, well there you go. <laughs> so th- this is now a threat. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> listen, listen to uh, his music oh God, for, sa- a... for safe passage for oh, safe travels. No. Yes, yeah, or you could end up passage. you could end up like on the terror. <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> you know wow, what? That's... You know what? That the correlation there. You know what? The people on the terror never did. None of those sailors ever listened to Biomes by Joe Cimino. Mm, mm, cool. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, listen to Biomes so that way you can uh, protect yourself when you go to the Northwest Passage. 
Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but all that aside, nothing that I can uh, announce just yet. Um, I believe if you have any children uh, out there and you don't want to send them on a sailing voyage this <laughs> fall, uh, I am teaching a printmaking class at the Artifact in uh, Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, those classes will be starting in October. Uh, and uh, information for reserving a spot in the class should be available on their website. Uh, again, that is the art effect, effect with an E. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, other than uh, my, my website and my, my usual socials, nothing too, uh, too exciting to announce just yet. Uh, if you'd like to visit the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. Uh, next week is mm. a huge milestone for us, and I am so excited to talk about some changes that are going to be coming to yes. the museum. And some of those changes may involve uh, all of you out there that have listened to us uh, over these past two years. Uh, so uh, get ready for some renovations here that we may be carrying oh, out yeah. and Absolutely. how you can play a part in it. Mm -hmm. uh, again, this has been uh, an amazing project to be a part of. Uh, I don't think we're stopping anytime soon. But nope. we're we're gonna revamp a couple of aspects yeah. of how we do this. Exactly. Yeah, we're gonna go in there, critique some things, fix some stuff up. You know, mm -hmm. redo the redo the kitchen. We gotta really get. Oh the yeah, you know, we have and, we uh, have to we have to you know uh, t we really ought to take down that cigar <laughs> store Indian uh, that's in front of the museum. Uh, oh, we still have that there. Oh Why? yeah, yeah. You know that's not great. You okay. know, just just really like go through and like make sure the 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 yeah. historic exhibits are uh, more sensitive. Uh, yes. Yeah, I uh, you know I I went through our exhibit of uh, of I Italian Americans the other day, and it is very distasteful. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, it the 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 exhibits are so old. It claims that uh, their blood vessels are actually made out of spaghetti. Oh, that's crazy! It's actually the nerve endings. Who knew? Yeah, yeah. You um, know, science was bad. Science. Science was really weird in the in the nineteen fifties. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> oh man. Um, but yeah, we're yeah. very excited for the new changes, new things coming this way. Uh, but no. There will always be content, so that's what's important. I feel like, and we got lots of stuff coming out, so mm -hmm. yeah, it's gonna be exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. And uh, also, if you'd like to find me, I am at Xanosaurus on Instagram, and I'm at Josemino Art on Instagram. And from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters, and I've been Joe Semino. Bye. Bye. Bye.